Welcome to Aussie Ambitions Podcast, where we meet with everyday Aussies that are pushing ahead with their goals and ambitions in life. Join your host, Scott Robert Springer, to explore the future of entrepreneurship, work-life balance, and reaching beyond your comfort zone. So stay tuned for some tips on living life the Aussie way. Welcome to the Aussie Ambitions Podcast. I'm uh, very excited to have a guest here with us today from my inner circle, somebody that I've worked with uh, over the last few years, actually, through the business. Um, his name is Chris McMahon. How are you, Chris? I'm wonderful. Thank you very much. It's um, interesting to hear that someone might be excited about me having a chat with them. So that's a great start. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll definitely fill people in on uh, some of the context, but um, uh, we've worked together in the field of optometry in the sense that you're an optometrist and you've owned optometry practices for a number of years and uh, you're local here to the Gold Coast. So um, given that you're local, I'm sure you've got some things to, uh, to reveal. But um, yeah, I just thought we could hear a little bit about um, what you're working on today as, a, as an optometry practice owner. Uh, I think uh, when you're in business, you're constantly working on your product and how it's presented and you're working on your audience. And I always, and I'm always talking to my team saying, put yourself in your audience's shoes, walk towards the practice, think what they're thinking, look at what they're seeing and think about what they're wanting and constantly trying to um, sharpen that and be better at that. Okay. So given that a lot of our listeners and viewers would be from overseas and just getting a little feel about what life's here, what life is like here in Australia, the, um, uh, and the, perhaps the dynamics of the optometry uh, world, um, I'll just offer up that from my observation, there's a clinical piece and there's also a more fashion side, like a retail uh, experience. Is that the case in your in your practice, or what's the balance between the yeah, two? Yeah, definitely. And and for me, there's three sides to it. And that's really what got me interested in optometry from the start, is there's the medical side. Uh, and I love that. The health of eyes, um, the process of vision. And then there's the mechanical side of where you are actually physically making glasses. There's the physics side, so that you have to understand light and how it gets bent and how you form clear an image at the back of somebody's eye. And then there's that fashion side as well, that uh, you help people achieve the look that they'd like. So uh, I love that Okay. multifaceted aspects to it. Okay. And um, obviously, for those watching, they're seeing that I'm not wearing glasses and neither are you. So that might be an interesting first point. To, I'm cheating with to a chat con- about. Uh, contact lens. Okay. So you've yeah, got so, contact lenses. Yeah. Um, and then for myself, I'm uh, 40s, and I probably am in a certain category of people that should be uh, wearing eyewear, for partic- if not for a particular use, then all the time. But um, we can maybe chat about that. But from your point of view, is um, where does the general population fit with an optometrist? Is it, does everyone should they should everyone have an optometrist? Ah, oh, well, everybody values their vision, so everybody should see an optometrist to make sure that the health of their eyes is okay. Prevention much better than dealing with uh, any sort of uh, process that once it's started. So yeah, everybody should have their eyes tested. So from uh, babies when they're born to make sure that things are developing and uh, correctly, uh, through school age years to make sure that you're using your eyes efficiently and you're making things as easy as you possibly can, uh, and right throughout your life. Okay. And um, uh, you mentioned the, the school-aged children. So here on the Gold Coast, is there a, a, a tight integration between, say, schools and, and the classroom setting and then the professional network, like optometrists? Is there something that, I don't know, children get eye tests regularly? 
No, it's not tight, uh, as you're suggesting, and there is an element of government services that visit some schools and uh, test children's eyes, but it's not something that's done across the board, and that's something which we could certainly improve upon. Mm. Okay, so it's pretty much up to the family to correct consider if the child is. And are there yeah. any? I should maybe ask: Is that a field that you um, you work within regularly, like children's vision? Is it basically a specialty? Uh, there is subspecialties within optometry, of which one is children's vision. I'm not a children's vision specialist. Uh, we're a general practice, so we do see kids. Uh, we don't target schools specifically. We have done some of that in the past where we've visited schools and, um, and certainly encouraged parents to make sure don't wait for uh, uh, your child's school results to suffer, uh, get your children's eyes tested okay. to, to make sure they're making the most of, of the gift of sight. Okay. Um, and how about for somebody that's uh, that's forty plus, um, uh, presbyopia is the term. That's exactly. I'm impressed. All right, yeah. all right. I should yeah. know that. Um, but of course, um, maybe you could tell us a bit about that. That I guess it's a natural phenomenon, and it's uh, it is so for people to know about that. Uh, the eye works, put very simply, like a camera. There's a lens at the front, and the lens focuses the vision onto the back of your eye called your retina, which is like film at the back of a camera. And this lens at the front is soft and flexible, so it can change its shape and change its focus. So you can see things far away, change the focus so you can see things close up. And the older we get, the more we lose that flexibility. So it goes through a process called sclerosis. And eventually, the amount we can change the shape of the lens or the amount we can focus is not enough to see your iPhone. And that's when people about your age in their 40s come along and say, I've always had great vision. Now I'm having troubles with my phone. And that's called presbyopia. And so it's fairly predictable and that you'll find that you go to a restaurant with all of your friends around about the same age and at the same time you're all starting to dive into your pocket, pulling out the reading glasses to read the menu. Okay. Um, I like that you, you had that, I guess, almost like a, a visual check. So you've got your iPhone. Um, is it that are people pulling it in closer to read or they're actually pulling it farther away in, in terms of just getting that distance right? Is that right? This is for somebody who's suffering with presbyopia. Right. Uh, so the closer you hold something, the more you have to focus. So when you're losing your ability to focus, you're going to push the iPhone away. And people often say to us, I don't have any trouble with my vision. I just have to put the newspaper on the floor. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> that's right. I'm not sure how that's going to work all the time, but yeah. yeah. All right, there you go. So telltale signal if someone's walking full stretched out arm with their phone. I mean, that's that's a strange posture for someone. Chances are that there's something with their vision. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, that's a bit of a fun one to make it visual. Is there anything else that, uh, obviously, um, I'm trying to think of other common uh, uh, things that you would see? Oh, in your I guess daily the life? most common one is squinting. So there's a physics principle when you look through a tiny hole called the pinhole effect. And regardless of how poor your vision is, as long as there's no disease processes, regardless of how thick your glasses are, if you like, you'll always be able to read to the bottom line on the eye chart. So the way that people do this is they look, make manufacture a little hole themselves and squeeze their eyelids together so you're looking through a tiny little hole. So anyone who's squinting, and this is a good one for kids if they're in the classroom and they're squinting to see the board, then usually it's a sign you need glasses. Okay. So do you find that people, this might be fun for people to, to think, consider what they've done, but do people try to game the system when they come in for an eye test? Game the system. Does that mean cheat? Uh, lie? Definitely. They, they want to. They want to keep you happy. They want to. They want to prove to you that they've got excellent vision. Are they working really hard? 
to, oh. to tell you what they see? Oh, definitely. In both ways as well, particularly kids. So we get kids that come in and are lying to us because they want glasses. So often we'll say, and they're just malingering. And it takes, you need to be quite intelligent to malinger. malinger. And so we'll say, is there anyone in your class that wears glasses? Yeah. Who's that? Oh, Marie. And is that a good friend of yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you think about getting glasses? Good idea or bad idea? Good idea. <laughs> and then there's the opposite. Some kids don't want to have glasses. They've seen the bullying and teasing that happens at school and uh, I'll do anything to say, oh, I'm not having any troubles. I don't want glasses. Please don't give me glasses. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of the older, if I just, um, particularly men, men see it as a bit of an Achilles heel and it's a sign of aging and men don't like that. So I don't need glasses. I just, as I said, put the newspaper on the floor. Okay. I'm out of here. So what's the, is there a, a technique that, that can be used to bring people around? Is it, is it uh, maybe, maybe showing them some celebrities with a nice new look or what's the... That works with sunglasses. But for specs, I think it's all about quality of life that you show someone, tell somebody how their life will change, their benefits. So features and benefits drives a lot of um, health sales, retail, so uh, the benefits. How's your life going to change? Um, we'll actually show you. This is what you're seeing now. This is what you'll see if um, uh, you have some glasses and this is the benefits that will happen in your life. Yeah. So little kids, adults, same thing, but different benefits. Okay. Well, that piece is really um, relatable, I think, from a marketing point of view and a lot of people listening in would be coming from an entrepreneur background and considering, oh, that make, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's relating to my product and how I present it and so on. Is your background at all, do you have marketing included in your background or where do you get this knowledge from? Uh, garage marketing. So uh, I learned from people like you. So I pick up um, a bit of hunter and a gatherer in all facets of my life. And so from a marketing point of view, I knew once I started in business that I needed to let people know what I do. I needed to let people know how I'm different. I needed to let people know why they would want to come and see me. And so everything for me is uh, centered around features and benefits. Features I used to think would sell everything. Features is not the way forward. People uh, fall asleep as you're describing features, but it's benefits. So how their life's going to change. How they're going to, um, how they're going to enjoy their life more because of the car they're buying, the shoes, the electricity company, the, it doesn't matter what it is. Benefits. Interesting. Um, you know, the we're on a visual medium here. We've got the video form of the podcast so people can watch and see how we're interacting. Um, showing the benefits, I imagine it's visual benefits. And so is are there tools that you can use to, I guess, show people that this is how you can this is how your vision can improve. So it's such that they're they've got their regular vision, but then you have some way of, to show them this is how it could be crisper or clearer. Definitely. So we have we can put what you require in your glasses, for instance, in a little pair of glasses that uh, we can then put on somebody's face. And so you can say, well, this is how you're seeing the world at the moment. This is how you'll see it when you're uh, wearing glasses. So again, then you can actually show the benefits. I'm very big on showing, not telling. Okay. Uh, because you tell somebody something and uh, they don't understand it, don't quite get it. Showing, it's all over. Okay, so it's a, it's a physical thing they can experience for themselves. Definitely. Um, and then... Uh, just to put it out there, are there devices that can simulate it? Um, I guess there's no real reason to do that if you can experience it yourself. But is there a has there been a movement to say, oh, here's an app that um, shows you maybe some of the more complex 
Their apps are available. I don't find them nearly as powerful. They're impressive. And often they're impressive for us who understand the process and understand vision. But if you show somebody their distance vision, their close vision on an app or a picture or a video, I don't think it's nearly as powerful as going, see that? Now look at that. Now look at this. Now look at that. And it may be that somebody doesn't like glasses, so you say take the glasses off and you actually put some contact lenses in and they can experience the world clearly without having furniture on their face for the first time. Okay. It's magic. All right. Um, so a little little taste of uh, what life's like here in Australia. You've been here for how many? Are you, are you born from Australia? That's a bit personal. 57 oh. years I've been here. Oh, That's right. He gave us the number. <laughs> All right. Well, let's say. What are you going to do with it? That's right. Well, hey, everybody. <laughs> I think the Gold Coast itself is uh, is quite a young city. So you're, yeah. you've been here on the Gold Coast? No, I was actually born in Bundaberg. So a coastal town about, what is that, five hours north of here. I uh, wasn't there very long. My father was a bank manager, so I moved around a lot. Really grew up in Brisbane, but spent a lot of time in the Gold Coast while I was growing up. Uh, loved the beach, loved surfing, so a lot of time down here. And as soon as I graduated from university, made a beeline to make it my permanent home. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, that's something I didn't know, actually. Given that we've known each other for a while, I, uh, you often... Is that the case of, of Australians in general? Like, do, Would you know um, that people are from here originally, or... Uh, do you need to ask the question? Uh, if you were to, you know, someone in your business, for example, it, is it clear to you where they've come from? Or I don't think it's clear. And I think everybody with the Gold Coast, so it's a, a tourist city uh, on the east coast of Australia, so halfway down, so in the subtropics, so uh, warm winters, hot summers on the beach, uh, famous for the beaches, famous for surfing. And so it's a bit of a magnet for people to come to, particularly people who have come from places that don't enjoy such great weather. So the the Gold Coast has a reputation of being quite an itinerant population of people coming and going, mainly coming here. And most people assume that everyone in the Gold Coast wasn't born here. Changing now as a city starting to grow up, as you're alluding to before, but most people I think you meet are from somewhere else, another country, another city, and have made this their home. That's neat. Um, and then, so in in the sense of you establishing yourself here uh, for the longer term, is that through business? Is that how it all started? You, you had education in optometry and then planted yourself in the world of business? It is. I came here, as I said, I was here as much as I could as I was growing up. And I was lucky enough that my grandmother had a house down here, so I spent a lot of time down here. And I wanted to move here from a quality of life point of view, which is the reason most people move here. And then around that, you build your life or build your business. That's neat. Um, I can imagine some people would have ambitions to to head in a certain direction and then it maybe doesn't plan, plan, out, plan out exactly like that. Definitely. See that a lot. So we see a lot of people who come to the Gold Coast to often to rebuild their lives. So there's been an event in their lives and they come to the Gold Coast, they think, I, I need a fresh start. Where am I going to go? I've been on holidays. Where have been on holidays? Gold Coast loved it. It was warm, enjoyed the beach. It was, it was fantastic. And so they make the move here. I think what a lot of people don't realize, so this is not a Gold Coast thing, but when you move, and you'd know this as well, that when you move, you're moving somewhere new. You've left behind lots of things, your family, your friends, uh, the neighborhood that you know. Starting fresh is hard, I think. I had a go at it in London, and it's uh, getting your social circle um, is hard. Okay, interesting. So the uh, obviously the Gold Coast thread, I want to pick back up on that, but the London piece, so is that where you went to school? Or what? 
What so was the connection with London? School, um, I went to in Brisbane, University, which is, do you call school? University, um, like America? Uh, yeah, I think, anyway. um, yes. So university I went to in Brisbane. You had to work for a year. I'd always wanted to travel. So I always had the intention as soon as I could, I would travel and my degree you could use in England was a fellow Britain. So it was a reasonably easy place. You had to do some requalifying exams, but it was reasonably easy. It was far more complicated in America, I think Canada as well, and the rest of the world. So I made a beeline for London as soon as I had worked my 12 months, which was the prerequisite for working over there. Wow. And, and like you said, so you had to start up over there, not start up, but you had to relocate and it was there a cultural ex cultural experience for you in that in that sense? Uh, oh, sure. Uh, not nearly as much as uh, so it's the same language, uh, same sort of sense of humor. So that sort of thing wasn't so challenging. But I I had never lived in a massive city before. Uh, to just land somewhere and know nobody was uh, was interesting. It's fantastic. You know, it's uh, hard hard, but uh, you always learn from things like that. You always benefit and. Yeah, so it was fantastic. I loved it. Oh, neat. Um, and then at some, and what was the point where you decided um, to to wrap up there and come back? I ran out of visa. Okay. I, <laughs> I thought they'd think I was a reasonable guy, but evidently not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that visa. Will, uh, yeah, they're pretty pretty firm with that. Um, yeah. And likewise in Australia, you know, people are here on visas. Yeah. Um, and so on. Well, what if I so, given that. Um, you know, you set up a business. What I was wanting to get a feel for was the is the was the business dynamic, uh, business environment friendly at the time. Like, was it relatively easy to start a business and work off of your skills to date? I mean, it's, we're talking about a demand for service. So, um, were there many optometrists on the Gold Coast at the time? Or? Uh, there were not as many as now. Um, it's funny when you decide you're going to do something and people talk about passion, I tend to talk about it more as fight. You have to have the fight within you. You have to, and I don't think you look so much at the opposition, but you just look at what you think you can do, what changes you can make, and you just focus on it and you're just determined. You just have determination. Okay. And um, that, that startup phase, what, do you remember what uh, was the, the biggest hurdle at the time? Like, was it uh, just getting a location or was it building the brand and deciding what was going to be on the sign or what, what was the early days of that? Uh, I've always found marketing the biggest hurdle. I didn't do marketing at university. So just having the product, just being good at what you do, even if you know you're good at what you do, getting the people to come and experience what you have to offer is the most challenging thing. You think that you have a great idea, you set up, everything's brand new, polished, ready to go, and you're standing around and you're like, why aren't these people coming in? I just don't understand this. I'm fantastic. I have a fantastic product. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a steep learning curve. Okay. I think you alluded to it earlier, but you may have found a way to get that external help or, or maybe it was someone that you hired. Um, how did you get through that? Or was it just a matter of time where you it just came on naturally and maybe word of mouth and so on? Or oh, trial and error, trial and error. You learn from your mistakes. You're, all of your learnings come from your mistakes. You make enough mistakes and eventually with that comes wisdom. Okay. And uh, you just slowly get better and better at it. Uh, surround yourself with the people who are good at what they do. Okay. Uh, find the best. But get people who are better than you at whatever. 
that's fun. I like the trial and error because I feel like there's there's some gold in there. Um, what was there anything that jumps out at you as um, something that was a blow away success, like absolute you'd do it again, or <laughs> or on the flip side, something that was a train wreck and you like wouldn't go near it again? Uh, I've never had anything which I've said is a screaming success. I find marketing and advertising a big black hole that you just can pour buckets and buckets of money into and see. I learned fairly quickly to track everything because I just thought if you just did a cinema ad, people would walk through the door and you just stand there waiting. And again, the people don't turn up and it, you just think it's so unfair. What's wrong with these people? Why aren't they coming to us? Um, once you start tracking things and you're asking people, how come you're here? What is it? Why, why are you here? Uh, then you can start to uh, alter your marketing strategy. Uh, it may be in response to something you've done, but most often it's not. And you just want to find more people like them. You go, what do you do? What do you think about? Why have you come here? And that's what you, uh, that's the, the angle that I've always taken. Uh, in terms of successes, word of mouth for me. Every day of the week, you get somebody who says, go there, they're great. Trust them. Once you've established trust with somebody and once you tell me to go and get my hair cut somewhere, shut the gate. It's all done. I'll go and get my hair cut there. That's neat. Yeah. And actually, it's interesting, um, I guess, feedback loop for us because uh, you had been recognized as one of the top three optometrists on the Gold Coast uh, and from a directory that we had to seen and and I think you'd uh, let us know that you'd been recognized for that. I thought, oh, that's that's great. Well, let's see if we can use that on our marketing material, right? We did. Um, I, I was lucky enough to do that. That's right. We weren't angling for it. It was we just notified of it. So uh, you always aim to be the best. That's all I do. Yeah. The best, and no, I don't really worry about anybody else. Right. So you but don't it, necessarily achieve that, but that's what your goal is. Yeah. And you, like you said, you didn't angle for it. It was just came from just general awareness and perhaps they surveyed some people in the community and uh, did a bit of background research. Uh, and so you welcome that. And then uh, I guess for us, that gave us an interesting spotlight and we, we looked in other categories to see, you know, who's the top three hairdresser and the top three uh -huh. restaurant, and top three dentist, And, and uh, you know, so good on that directory for, uh, you know, for helping bring some visibility to these categories that, oh. you know, may not have another. Did, did you actually, um, was there any, business recognition, not business, was there any people that came in the door saying, oh, I, I saw you on this uh, directory or? Uh, no, not, not so that I'm aware of. People, we have a lot that do the Google search and go across everyone's websites and uh, ours is the reason they came. So that's probably an element of establishing trust before someone chooses you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that dynamic because one of the things that uh, I recognize about your business is you've got a physical location um, and then you've also got the website and uh, you've got e-commerce initiative and so on. Is that, um, what do you think about the balance of, of having a traditional location these days? Um, have you, you've always had a one, is how many shops have you had over the years? Uh, at any one time, three. Three? We had three in uh, major shopping centers. So in uh, the Americas, they call them malls, I think. So in shopping malls, major shopping malls, where you've got two or three major anchor tenants and then 200 specialty sh uh, shops hanging off those. Okay. That, that's where we've always been. Because that's traditionally, um, there's a fa fairly big commitment there in terms of, you know, we're talking about a, a retail footprint and long-term long leases. and Massive. Um yeah, is that just par for the course for that for your industry, or is that a, a business 
decision, perhaps a risk in terms of going that versus maybe a, a smaller independent location? Yeah, both of those things. So um, for me, I was interested in being in a situation where we had a lot of walk-by traffic so that we could get started and established. But you have to buy that walk-by traffic. You're basically paying big rents to shopping mall owners and the money that you pay is so that they will send people past your door. What happens next is up to you. The other mode of practice, I guess, is more of a medical style practice where in a suburban street or in an office block where um, the rents are maybe not so high, but then you have to find your own uh, clientele. Mm. Yeah, and, and the shopping centers on the Gold Coast are... Um, a lot of them are quite premium, like they have a, a premium feel to it. Mm -hmm. Is that is that um, a difficult space to operate in? I would imagine the we're talking about higher price points than than normal, so and luxury brands. So is that form a part of the business in terms of the the, the say the types of frames that would be offered? Like a Gucci or a, maybe a name, like a, high, a really high-end right. name. Right. So what I call Coca-Cola brands I so see. that people uh, automatically have a hook on and are interested in. Um, it is, but you don't have to be. There are in any category in a shopping center, there is entry level and there's premium. So we aim at the premium level. Uh, there's a lot of other, in our category, a lot of other um, businesses that do the entry level. So they don't necessarily have the high-end brands. So uh, the people walking past you are from all walks of life. So we would probably aim at maybe only one in five of those people that are interested in um, premium healthcare mm -hmm. and premium um, uh, eyewear. Eyewear, yeah. All right. And then the cycle of, I guess, maintaining that uh, relationship with your patient uh, and the customer would be, is it, how often do you see them or would you need to see people on a regular basis? Generally once a year. Optometry is traditionally is probably once every two years. So there's a gap between seeing um, your patients or your clients, however you want to describe them. So maintaining the relationship is an interesting thing. And I think you do have to stay front and center because in between visits to you, there's plenty of distractions. We're on the TV, on the radio, on sporting events. So for you to maintain a presence in front of their eyes and remind them of your benefits and remind of your points of difference, that's important. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's um, and there's in Australia there's a certain uh, program available where there's health funds are quite prominent in Australia versus maybe other countries, in America and Canada and so on. Um, there is, it's sort of there's there's different programs obviously, and in Australia there's a uh, private health insurance is kind of the yep. the domain, and they do have access to um, I guess some form of subsidy to to make sure that they're I guess including that um, they're a regular visit, so it could be dentistry or or optometry. Is that right? Yeah. So in Australia, they um, health funds really cover the hardware, so cover the glasses, not so much the care side of things. And I guess we talk about it as health insurance, but that's a form of health assurance. I think where you're just going to get two hundred or three hundred dollars a year to go and spend on your glasses. You can go anywhere you like to spend on your glasses. And there are some relationships that are formed between businesses and health funds where they say, well, if you go to the uh, eye provider that we have a relationship with, you'll get added features or added money or something like that. But um, generally, uh, if you're in a health fund, you can have basic cover, which doesn't include eye care and dentistry and the ancillaries or a, a higher cover that does, in which case you'll get a couple of hundred dollars a year.
Okay. All right. That's good. Um, one thing I was curious about is the uh, the technology side of the business, more at the product level. You talked about features and benefits, but is there anything that's kind of blown you away uh, in terms of things like evolutions in the industry? Um, you know, it could be a, yeah, I'll just put it, put it there. Is there anything that jumps out? Uh, this is in terms of what we have for diagnosis. Um, um, perhaps, yeah, perhaps you're catching. So diagnosis, definitely, that uh, throughout my career, every every few years there's something that's uh, brand new and enables us to detect an eye disease sooner than what we were able to, which puts the patient in a much better position from a treatment point of view. Uh, and in some cases gives you the opportunity to uh, diagnose a disease that maybe you weren't able to before. Uh, so yeah, it's a magnificent. Uh, so instruments now, an example of that is instruments that we can now see the back of the eye from a cross-sectional point of view. And from that, we can see if there's any blood vessels back there that are leaking. And the sooner you get onto something like that, that is vision saving. Whereas when I first graduated, you may basically had to wait until you saw physical signs of leaking blood vessels at the backs of the eyes. And it was really too late. And you're just witnessing people losing their vision, which is an awful thing. So uh, yeah, some Mm. some really cool things and you mentioned obviously vision related uh things that you can keep an eye out for but then the overall health i've heard of it the eyes being the window into the sort of the the, the deeper inner health um things yeah. like diabetes and is that definitely something you can screen for sure definitely so the eyes aren't a separate organ if you could lift your brain out of your head you'd have two eyes sort of dangling off the brain. So it's actually part of the brain. And at the backs of the eyes, you can actually see blood vessels. So it means that a lot of um, general health conditions that are related to blood vessels, you can see signs of it at the backs of the eyes because there are just naked blood vessels there. So diabetes that you're talking about, you can see little leaks of blood sometimes because the di uh, the uh, blood vessels, yeah, I guess you could describe it as are no longer perfectly waterproof, and so they start leaking a little bit. Um, hypertension, you may see that the blood vessels aren't the same caliber, so they widen and narrow, widen and narrow, uh, other signs like that. So the optometry is often the first place of diagnosis of diabetes, hypertension, uh, those sorts of things where we'd make a referral to the GP and say, hey, why don't we have a look at this? And uh, they make a diagnosis. So, yeah, it's it's fantastic, not just from an eye point of view, but you've got this general health side to it as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's um, even just from the educational point of view, I I often wonder how much people know about that. And I just think a little bit, every little bit helps in terms of uh, definitely awareness of definitely how the professions are actually totally inter interlinked. So like you said, you might be the first, first one, and then it's, it starts a path of care where people can actually get early intervention. Definitely. And that's where I've loved technology from the start. So we make sure we've got the latest in the eye diagnosing technology. And then I'm not big on just going, everything looks great. Again, I show, don't tell. So I tend to show all the scans to somebody and I want them to be my prophet. I want them when they leave to tell their friends, I saw these really cool images where they can show signs of diabetes, uh, show this, show that, and generate some interest because the point you're making, how much does the public know about what's in an eye test and what benefits it has in terms of general health as well as your vision, very small. Mm -hmm. So I think it's our job to educate each person that comes in and sees us so mm -hmm. that they can spread the word. Mm. Oh, wonderful. Um, it reminded me, I was walking in front of your, your practice the other day and I saw uh, some bright colors. Um, 
and uh, just caught my eye. It's from a retail point of view. Yeah. Um, and it, it uh, was, uh, uh, I believe the name was Enchroma. Uh, yeah. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? I, I, I looked into it and it looks pretty impressive, but I just thought I could hear it from you. Yeah, so our vision, every most people have color vision, and your color vision works a little bit like a TV, where you, if you get push up really close to a TV, you'll see three colors of um, uh, the little dots, if you like. And once you stand back far enough, then the dots will mix in together and make all sorts of different colors. Our color vision works a little bit like that, and sometimes people are born without one of these little colors, so that they don't appreciate all colors. Uh, it's referred to as color blindness, but very rarely do you ever see somebody who's black and white. Um, I've never seen it in my career. So generally, it's what we call color confused. So that means that they will have two colors like a chocolate brown and an olive green. And to them, they'll look the same. They may wear different colored socks and they don't realize that. Or they go to the casino and start pulling in someone else's chips that are the, the pinks and the browns look the same to them. So Enchroma is an American company that has a product, uh, some tinted lenses, which um, makes it possible for somebody to discriminate colors that they haven't seen before. It doesn't return, or they never had proper color vision, but it doesn't give them proper color vision, but gives them the ability to appreciate colors. And it's an amazing thing. There are some very powerful videos on the Enchroma website, um, mainly North American people who are very emotional on putting these glasses, when they put these glasses on for the first time. And we've seen that sort of thing uh, in our store as well. So we're the only... Uh, business in Australia that actually sells Enchroma product. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's highlighted something to me that you don't have an appreciation of how lucky you are. And in this case, it's color vision, but this is in all facets of our lives. We just need a reminder every so often that you're really lucky to have the gifts that you do. And in this case, color vision, and you see the effect when you put glasses on somebody that can't see things in proper color and they see or appreciate color for the first time. That's an emotional experience for them. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, that does sound like innovative um, as well as you know just helping people along that way and I guess things are constantly evolving new uh, products and people innovating um, and and, uh, and how do you I guess in the past you could have screened for something like that but there wasn't necessarily a solution or a product that they could try but now that's that's something new is that right exactly yeah so it was a case of uh, usually the kids at school come along and that's when they first you do a first do a color test so most color deficient people are men so some 95% of people who are color deficient are men. And uh, you find out that a child is color deficient. And I think the major thing is that I don't know they're going to miss out on a lot, but I uh, should start talking in terms of careers, that they don't fall in love with a career that requires perfect color vision, a fighter pilot, an electrician, those sort of things. That, so and that's really, it was, a, it was a form of advice. But um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think you've definitely helped us get a, clear picture of what uh, what it can be like to work with and help people in different areas of their life, obviously, with especially mm. careers. Is um, In terms of the optometry profession, is there a, um, a clear path for people to, to enter the industry and continue on into work? Um, what's your view on, say, like advice to a, a new graduate, for example? So in Australia, if someone's studied in the field of optometry, uh, is there a clear are there clear steps for them to enter the workforce? So on graduating from university with an optometry degree, you're ready to go. Um, some other health professions, 
you then have to do uh, some registration years where you're working in practice. You don't have to in optometry. So your choices would be uh, working in a small private, which is myself, working for a larger corporate organization or perhaps working in education so university or then um, study so uh, yeah 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 uh, furthering study so i think my if i had any advice for somebody would join a situation where you have the broadest exposure possible so that you get to experience all forms of eye care all forms of business models and from there then you can find what's your interest and go for it from there okay and and the mix of i mean i guess the um the transfer of skills or at least being able to work in different perhaps countries is there a i guess a regulatory uh, body that says you're certified in australia but if you wanted to work in the uk or canada or us do you know much about the portability of such a a degree uh so as i was saying before i really only understand australia and uh, the united kingdom um so the United Kingdom recognizes Australian qualifications and New Zealand and vice versa. But you have to do a conversion course. I'm not fully up to speed on what it's like right now, but you have to do some form of um, converting course examinations. But the content of the degree they recognize. America, North America is more complicated than that. Even I understand to go from state to state in North America with an optometry degree is not something that's necessarily easily done mm. like it is in Australia. It's uniform in Australia. But, I imagine that's good for the for the, the ones that do study and, and are employed here. Obviously, some labor markets, you've got skills that are coming in and it's sort of, uh, um, well, it just it's a little bit more pressure in terms of how many seats there are, you know, in terms of people to be employed. But um, yeah, what, where about it? Is it where is it right now? Are we in a shortage of optometrists? Or yeah, is it, it depends on who you talk to. So if you're talking to um, the Optometry Association, I think they would probably err on the we've got enough. And if you talk to some of the bigger businesses that employ optometrists, they probably would say we need more, particularly in country situations. But, yeah, so it's. I think it's probably a reasonable balance at the moment, but you'd hear differing opinions. Okay. Um, well, look, yeah, it's definitely uh, one of those industry-specific things. And like you said, um, uh, to be in it, uh, there's lots of different dynamics to it all. But um, as a business owner, uh, it's always interesting to see people's journey and uh, maybe things that they've overcome and some of the struggles and then the celebrations. Um, is there something that you've celebrated? Do you find yourself... Um, having a good balance at the moment as a business owner and celebrating i'm very goal driven and i think as a business owner you need to be you need to have something that you're aiming at uh, you need to have a map drawn out i want to get here from here to my house i want to follow a map it might not go the way i planned but you need to have the map um, big on celebrating successes along the way so don't just have the one big goal that you just like sailing towards the horizon you never actually find you get to it so um yeah celebrate as you get along so smaller goals okay um and we chatted a little bit before about um i guess as you build a business there's there's points that you can um consider what's next either you expand the business or you operate it in the current form or you look at possibly uh, maybe it's other options an exit or um transfer within the family and so on um was it ever a, a 
a family business uh, approach for you or in a sense that um w would you bring other members of the family in on the business or is it just um uh, separate in a sense I never really had that opportunity. I never had anyone else in the family that was interested, so, and I'd never uh, looked or desired to have anyone else in, in my family interested. So no, I, uh, that wasn't something that drove me. Oh, it's just uh, interesting in the the idea of succession planning, or even just um, the evolution of a business in general. Um, so, what do you think the next steps are for uh, Chris McMahon, optometrist? Yeah, so I think when you have a business, you part of your goal is you always got to have an exit. Where does this finish? I think even from the very start, you have to have an idea. That idea probably changes as the business grows. And uh, and we've just gone through the process where we have sold our business uh, and we're just in that transition phase at the moment. So it wasn't the exit that I had planned. I had was approached and um, I think like life presents you with opportunities that come out of left field. This did for me and uh, it was a, an opportunity which I decided to exercise and took. So yeah, we're in the process of transition now where you have a business and you love your business. It is like a child to you. And if you, I hate using the word sell, like I would to one of my kids. So you're interested in your business being just as successful as when you were the owner. You want the owner and the new owner to enjoy the success that you have. And for me, the biggest thing was the team, the team that I've, it's like a family to me. It's a work family to me. So I'm very driven to make sure that they're looked after and to make sure that the same things that were important to me when I was running the business are maintained. Um, obviously, I won't have complete control over that uh, as time goes by, but uh, very driven for the team. But uh, we're very close. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that is a major uh, milestone in any business evolution, and it's sort of a credit to having built it up to a stage and um, it sounds like there would have been opportunities to maybe take that decision earlier or even postpone it further and like you said there's sort of a balance of perhaps taking opportunities um, or considering it at the time and yeah definitely we'd had previous people that were interested that approached us I've never put it out there never thought that I would I'd always planned an internal or I had people that were working with me to be the exit and that I could have a diminishing interest in the business. Um, but um, yeah, as I said, it came out of left field and that's neat. yeah. Well, I'd say congratulations because I think that's one oh, of thank those, you. I think that's, that's one of those things. Nice and, thing to say, thanks. Yeah, I think it's an achievement for people to have built a personal brand, um, a, a professional brand, and then uh, you know essentially be well long time established. So it'd be interesting to see where you, uh, what you work on next. Uh, do you have any passion side projects or anything you've done on the side? It could be anything really. No, I I haven't really. No, not um, not of any note. No, just yeah. do you get up to the beach beach much and yeah, uh, surfing and golf are the two things that. Uh, uh, both continuing to frustrate me. Yeah. So like I said before, you always want to be the best and that best may be the best that you can be. So I'd always want to be the best. I'm always competing against myself when I'm surfing or when I'm playing golf and I'm reasonably competitive but always wanting to improve. Hey, that's I am um, just on the topic of surfing. I'm not a, a great surfer by any means. I'm still working on the the technique but there's a this new technology, new product called eFoil. I don't know if you've seen these around but it's like a digital uh, electronic surfboard that's powered by a little fin 
yeah. and uh, going for a lesson tomorrow. So, <laughs> well, oh, well, I did that about a month ago. Oh, you did? Yeah. So one of my sons, um, he's a go-getter, and or well, they both are go-getters. But he, uh, my younger son, said we're doing this, so uh, we booked it, and away we went, and it's sensational. Is it's it really? great. Oh yeah, it's it's magnificent. So the one thing that struck me is, and being a surfer, is that there's always chatter on the board, chatter of the little waves. As you're moving across the face of a wave, you can both hear and feel the little ripples slapping against the underneath of the board. And it rocks the board. And with the e-foil you're talking about, the surfboard lifts out of the water. And the moment it lifts out of the water, everything falls silent and it's dead smooth. It's amazing. Yeah, you're you're going to love it. Yeah, um, I I had seen. Uh, I don't know if it's an Australian innovation originally. It seems like it it, it was. Uh, I don't know the boards. If you're doing it locally, the boards I think are manufactured in Byron Bay, which I was fantastic about. Australians are always very proud about being Australian, they? and then Australian made is big, and I believe that as well. Um, and it was for me, it was the closest thing. I'm showing my age here, but it was the closest thing for me. It was a back to the future moment. It's like the, it's like a hoverboard. It's it's uh, bizarre. So anyone who's listening should look it up and just see what it looks like. Just to have somebody almost floating in the air on a, an anti gravity surfboard. Hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, it is absolutely visual, and I think this goes back a few years ago. But I remember thinking that seems like the future, and I cannot believe. And I would share it around the on my you know social media and. People just looked at it like, yeah. where do you live? What, yeah. Why don't we have these? It's bizarre. Um, yeah. So I think what we could do is, yeah, just just enjoy it, live it. Yeah. Um, so you did you have any hesitations about getting on it? Or Oh, no, no. We had actually attempted to do it previously on uh, cable. We've got a cable ski park that's here, so like water skiing, and you can uh, in a circular fashion around a lake, and you can do it on... Um, uh, two skis, a mono ski on a whatever the boards are called that you drag behind boats. And there was also the option to do it as a uh, the, the electronic, the, the fins, or the foiling, yeah. foilings, but it wasn't available the day we went. So it was a bit disappointing. So yeah, finally got to do it. And that's great. That's excellent. Um, yeah, look, uh, it'll be good. And I think we'll hopefully have a guest on that can tell us a bit about the innovation side of things. Mm. So uh, um, yeah, certainly it's a spotlight on some interesting things that are going on and uh yeah overall um gold coast is a it's got a nice little balance to it i feel well that's one of the things about being a tourist city is that you get lots of can i say gimmicky i'm not sure that this is terribly gimmicky but you get a lot of things that are like this that are available to people on holidays tend to go on jet boat rides and roller coasters and all sorts of things like that and the gold coast got all of that and some more and as a local, do you feel like that's uh, it's just nice to have in your back pocket if you wanted to have have people come for a tour, or do you find yourself, you know, getting firsthand? I think they've got like one of those skydiving machines where you can literally float. You do, yeah, that's right. Just <laughs> have you been on that as across well? Across the river for me? No, I haven't. So indoor skydiving? No, I uh, was just talking to one of my friends. He's got a ten-year-old son, and he was describing it to me. I am uh, I'm, I'm keen to give that a go. Yeah, I've skydived before, but I, uh, the indoor was uh, so uh, in tandem. So I don't have a license or whatever you need to do. So Still. just yeah. So yeah. So yeah, it was fantastic. Jeez, well, that's uh, that, you, that. That says a lot. Uh, not only business owner, but you've you've gone for it. You've jumped out of a plane, done the e-foil. Um, anything? Anything on your list that surely you've got something you're going to chase down? Um. I, 
uh, I've got a few walks and a few countries and things like that that I would love to visit, but um, it probably had something to do with me accepting the offer on my business that I just find I'm, I'm the, getting a bit older and you get injured a lot more easily and recovery takes a lot longer. So, uh, yeah, I pick and choose. But, uh, yeah. um, are you following any of the, uh, I guess they can call it the space race at the moment, anything they're doing with... Uh, you know, Elon Musk's going at it. You got Virgin Brands, uh, Virgin's going at it, and uh, Jeff Bezos has got a. I know it's amazing, isn't ship. it? Just amazing. I don't follow it closely. It's not a burning thing for me to climb in a rocket and look down at the Earth. It would be sensational, wouldn't it? I, I tend to think at my age, it's probably beyond my budget by the time uh, it becomes. I don't think it's going to become mainstream, will it? I don't know by the time. But uh, I'd love to get a go. Yeah. I think, well, that's maybe something we can keep an eye out. Um, there's no Australian player yet that I'm aware mm. of, but uh, maybe that will come to be mm. um, over time. But um, anyway, hopefully that's a nice little uh, little chat about innovation and, and from the professional side of things to the healthcare and so on. But um, Chris, thank you very much for coming in today. Um, Loved it. Really, thank really uh, appreciated it. And um, happy to have you back anytime. Again, congrats on uh, the achievement on, on getting the business to where it is today. Thank you. And uh, looking forward to seeing the next. And yeah, I think I'm going to come by for a pair of sunnies. I think it's time for uh, yeah, a well, new look. We will uh, take you through what your options are and uh, tell you about all the all the benefits. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, thank you for inviting me and having me on. And you started off by saying that it was exciting. Was it? I think it, I think it absolutely <laughs> was. We touched on, we got e-foil in there and that uh, that that surprised me. <laughs> well, so. I did say to you beforehand that I thought that we'd last about five minutes and run out of interesting things. So yeah. thank you for hanging in there. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Guys, that's the Aussie Ambitions podcast with Chris McMahon and I uh, appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you again. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Aussie Ambitions podcast. We appreciate your support and welcome your input. So if there is a topic that you would like to see covered, please let us know via our website, aussieambitions.com or any of our social media accounts. And please subscribe to receive all of our updates. We hope that you picked up some helpful tips helping you to get to where you want to go. And if you've got a story to tell and are able to come for a visit, definitely get in touch.